Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's Bite Size is brought to you by AG1, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across, and I myself have been drinking it regularly for over five years. It contains vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, digestive enzymes, and so much more and can help with energy, focus, gut health, digestion, and support a healthy immune system. If you go to drinkag1.com forward slash live more, they are giving my listeners a very special offer, a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first order. See all details at drinkag1.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 227 of the podcast with Dr. Andrew Huberman, a professor of neuroscience at Stanford University School of Medicine. In this clip, he shares some powerful tools to reduce stress and anxiety and improve our focus and performance. The visual system, I think, really sits at the top of the list in terms of practical tools in order to lay down the the bedrock of their foundation of of mental and physical health and uh, high performance for those that already feel as if they're doing well and want to level up their mental or physical practices. And the reason I say that is for the following reason. The nervous system's job is to coordinate the activities of all the of all the organs of the body, including our movement and our thought and our emotions, but really coordinate the immune system, coordinate uh, the endocrine system. It's really the conductor of the whole business that is us. The visual system is unique in that it's the only piece of the central nervous system that resides outside the cranial vault. So our eyes, um, we think of as seeing devices, but they are actually the primary and in some sense, the only way in which the nervous system has knowledge about external circumstances. And so lining the back of our eyes is this uh, three-layered structure called the neural retina. And the neural retina is part of the brain proper. It's a piece of the brain that got extruded out um, of the cranial vault during development. So you've got two little bits of brain outside your cranial vault. So we could talk about the practical tools, but I I hope that lays the sort of um, the, the organizational logic behind why we say the visual system is so important. What you say about panoramic vision, I think is fascinating. And I want to talk, if if it's okay, Andrew, about this sort of bi-directional communication we have between certain behaviors that we have in our brain. So with breath work, for example, if we're feeling super stressed and we're trying to get through deadlines, that can change the way that we breathe. But at the same time, we can consciously change the way that we breathe to have a calming effect on our brain. And I sort of feel... With respect to vision, that's, I think with breath work, we're sort of getting there, like people are starting to understand that, but I don't think with vision they are. So maybe you could talk to how, whether you have this peripheral sort of soft vision or this kind of tightly focused vision, what is that doing? What messages is that sending up to our brain? You're absolutely right. I mean, the the breathing system is is amazing because it bridges subconscious and conscious processing, right? All the time we're breathing and we don't have to think about it just like our heartbeat, but at any moment we can grab a hold of our breathing and change our breathing. And that's, that's a unique um, neural apparatus that allows us to bridge between those two. Um, 
This is, the visual system is, is similar in that we are seeing things all the time, but we can also take control of our vision. I can decide to focus in a very you know, narrow soda straw view of the world, or I can open up the aperture of my visual field. So let's talk about opening the aperture, so-called panoramic vision. You don't have to actually be um, you know, stone still. You just What you want to do is just try and see without moving your head or eyes. What you're trying to do is dilate your gaze so that you're seeing more of the space around you, the ceiling, the area in front of you. Ideally, you'll see your own body a little bit in your peripheral vision. And when you do this, when you shift into this mode of vision we call panoramic vision, a couple of things happen. One is that you release a, a connection between the brain and the brain stem that's involved in alertness. And so it's not that you become less alert, but it has a, a relaxing effect. It's like coming off of the accelerator just a little bit. If ever you are in an argument, or you feel like you're getting triggered um, and you are, you can feel your heart rate increasing. You can feel the, you know, when adrenaline hits our system, it hits it very fast and there's this propensity to move and there's a propensity to say things. Um, and if you want to inhibit those reflexes, cause those can be kind of life damaging depending on what you're going to do and what you're going to say. It's also, it's always better to be the calm one in an argument if you can. Um, panoramic vision is great because it's completely covert. Whereas a breathing tools require a kind of overt shift in one's behavior. So you, you can tell when someone's, you know, or something like that. But with vision, you can, in a very covert way, you can expand your visual field and it will relax you. People have fear of public speaking. People who have challenges um, in different environments, going to the doctor's office, um, face-to-face -face communication for a lot of people is hard. Panoramic vision is a wonderful way to relax the systems of your brain and body just a bit. And what's really fun is that you can start feeling that shift. And the more you do it, the more you engage the, um, the mechanisms by which you decelerate, I would say. This is less of a break than a deceleration. It's not like slamming on the brake of stress. It's coming off the accelerator a little bit. So it allows you to kind of drive the car that is you. And panoramic vision also has a unique feature, which is that you're, you actually become more alert, aware, and responsive. The neurons that, that are responsible for panoramic vision, the aficionados, so-called magnocellular, meaning large magno neurons of the eye and brain, and big neurons transmit information much faster. So when you uh, catch a ball or when you reflexively do something, you're actually using this panoramic system uh, rather than the high acuity fine system, and your reaction times go up about fourfold. So you might think, oh, well, I'm kind of tuning out, but you're not tuning out. You're actually far more situationally aware. And um, I'm fortunate to do a little bit of work with people in U.S. and Canadian special operations. You know, we, they talk a lot about situational awareness, going into environments where you can monitor large swaths of, of behavior and activity, but be, be very responsive to things in different locations. And so actually panoramic vision is a wonderful way, not just uh, for them to do their work, but when you're walking down the hall, for instance, let's just take an example. You just took a meeting or you get off a of Zoom, you're headed upstairs. Are you gonna look into the narrow box that is your phone and check something bringing a soda straw view of the world that's driving those attentional mechanisms up and stress level up? Or are you just gonna walk to your car or down the hall or up the stairs and kind of panoramic vision allows your system to relax a little bit so that when you get to your destination, you're able to focus again. Remember throughout your day, your focus is designed to be a bit of a roller coaster. You weren't designed to wake up in the morning and go, phone, check Instagram, boom, check email, get kids to school. Okay, brief trough, what am I gonna do? Okay, you know, you think about the way that our attentional system is working and 
It's, it's absurd what, we, what we're demanding of ourselves now. We've killed all the micro breaks throughout the day, even little 10 second pauses in high attentional activities. So learning or a pod, like what we're doing now, talking back and forth, even just little 10 second pauses allow the brain to store a bunch of information much faster about what was just learned. It allows the system to decompress a bit. The really powerful aspect of it is that then when you lean back into activity, you have a heightened level of focus. Many, many people out there are struggling. They think, I, my memory is bad. I have trouble with focus. But a lot of people have trouble focusing because they're basically spending their focus, if you will, throughout the day. It's like dropping you know, small coins all day long. By the end of the day, you've spent out quite a lot of money. So you have to be judicious in your use of this thing that we call focus and attention. So panoramic vision is one excellent way to do that. Yes, respiration, uh, breathing is very powerful, very powerful, but it requires signals from the body, from the lungs and tissues of the body to the brain, and then the brain will adjust its state. Vision, as you recall, is the brain. So it's the fastest route by which we can change our state of mind. There's a, one other kind of tool that I think might be useful in the, in the context of vision, which isn't so much about calming down, but about focus. One very effective tool, and this is actually in use in China, pretty widespread now, is if people have a hard time focusing, remember that cognitive or mental focus follows visual focus. So if you're going to sit down and do some work and you find, oh, like I can't concentrate, I'm not, I'm not I'm like getting it, I can't get into the writing or I can't do what I'm doing. Very simple practice. It's been tested. You can take a piece of paper, um, put a little crosshatch on it, put it at the distance of your computer and force yourself to bring your vision, what we call a virgin's eye movement, to that location and try and hold that blinking as seldom as possible as you can for about 60 seconds. You've now adjusted the aperture of your visual field, but you've also changed the aperture of your thinking, right, in doing that. And this is very different than if you were just to concentrate on like the feeling of touch on the tips of your fingers, because as you do work, most all work requires vision. And then the work that you do, you'll find exists in this kind of narrow tunnel and you're able to rule out distractions quite a bit better. That's one of the reasons why this device is so terrible. I mean, I fall victim to this too, but if you have your phone every two seconds, you're looking at your phone, your visual attention is darting all over the place. So there's a lot of, of clinically legitimate, if you will, ADHD that we've brought up on ourselves. Um, and so you can use visual focus as a, as a training tool. Yeah. Um, I, I have a simple meditation I do in the morning. I call it a meditation, but it's really just visual training. I can explain it now. I don't think I've described this anywhere that anchors several of these practices. I actually will close my eyes and just concentrate on my internal state, something we call interoception, and I'll just breathe three times. Then I'll open my eyes, I'll stare at my hand or something at about a distance of, of arm's length, and I'll focus my visual attention there and breathe three times just for um, sake of timekeeping. Then I'll look at in the distance and I'll do the same. And then I try and go into panoramic vision, even if I'm indoors, and I'll breathe three times. And then I bring myself right back into my internal landscape. I'll focus on a little cross and usually then I get to work. And so what am I doing? What is this wacky practice? Well, this wacky uh, practice I just described is stepping through each, as we call, it sounds uh, abstract, but space-time bin of the visual system. The visual system can orient to now, it can orient to the future, it can orient to the past, mostly to the present and future. And so this stepping through a visual attention 
systematically, what I'm doing is I'm training my system to adjust to these shifts because throughout the day, life is a series of shifts between one thing and the next and the next. And the, the ability to transition between these and then lock into them and then transition into the next is what makes us effective. And I, this might seem a little abstract, but if you try it, what you'll find is that transitions between, say, work and a conversation or um, dropping into work very deeply become much easier. And there's, there's, reason, there's neurobiological underpinnings to this. Um, it's, this is a forced practice. It's, it kind of mimics what we ought to be doing all day long. The problem is, is that the interference of, of mostly of smartphone communications, we're constantly being bombarded with new context after new context. When you're on social media, it's the equivalent of watching 50 movies in two minutes because you're scrolling through and context switch, context switch, context switch. The, the human brain has never been confronted with this. Even if you have 200 channels on the television, it's very rare to just go channel, channel, channel. Yeah. The whole idea of social media, you're just, you're context switching, context switching, context switching in a, in a very passive way. And so what I've tried to do is create practices that are grounded in the neurobiology of vision and how vision anchors attention and can induce calm. And that, the practice, that simple uh, practice I described, what it does is it, it gives you the power and control to shift your visual attention to different things as opposed to some external stimulus shifting your visual attention for you. And I find it, I've been doing this for about eight years now. I do it every morning and sometimes in the afternoon. And what I find is that it's allowed me to be far more effective in the activities that I'm engaged in and transitioning between those activities. I love it. It kind of sounds like training a a muscle in the gym is going to allow us to do many things, but lift heavier things, be more strong and robust in our life for whatever we're trying to do. And it sounds like this kind of four-part process of, you know, focusing on things at different distances, it kind of feels to me as though this is a process that's helping adapt our visual systems to the way the modern world is now because the modern world ain't changing any time soon so it, it sort of feels like this might have been a practice that maybe wasn't necessary a hundred years ago 50 years ago but it is now highly necessary because of the environments in which we we find ourselves in that's right uh, uh, very well put and you know the the smartphones and internet are delivering experience in at rapid speed in ways that the human brain um, just simply didn't evolve to contend with. Now, the, the human brain is great at dealing with new technologies, creating new technologies. Uh, what I'm describing are, are very basic practices that are designed to offset some of the damage, but also, you know, it, it's not just about avoiding problems. It's also about being functional. You know, I, I think that everybody wants to be mentally healthy, physically healthy, and perform well in their various activities. And we do that by engaging the attentional systems and then disengaging the attentional systems. Everything in terms of learning, whether or not you're a child or an adult, is a function of being able to lean in with intense focus and then lean out and access rest of different kinds. In fact, neuroplasticity, the nervous system's ability to change in response to experience, is what, aside from the fact that the nervous system anchors and coordinates all the actions of the body, the nervous system is so unique in that it can change itself, but 
unless you deliberately force specific changes onto your nervous system, the passive consequence of living in a particular way will also change your nervous system and not necessarily for the better. So excessive light viewing at night, not getting enough sunlight, not getting enough movement. I mean, the nervous system will atrophy or change in response to whatever you give it. That's the beauty of it for better or for worse. And so what we're talking about here is is leveraging the, this incredible capacity of the nervous system to change and saying, well, what are the simple, zero cost, low time, very low time investment tools that are going to allow me to be very effective as I transition from one stage of life to the next? Hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip. Do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family. And if you want more, why not go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest? If you enjoyed this episode, I think you will really enjoy my bite-sized Friday email. It's called The Friday Five. And each week, I share things that I do not share on social media. It contains five short doses of positivity, articles or books that I'm reading, quotes that I'm thinking about, exciting research I've come across, and so much more. I really think you're going to love it. The goal is for it to be a small, yet powerful dose of feel-good to get you ready for the weekend. You can sign up for it free of charge at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday 5. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday.